words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. The title of our short message this morning is Master Plan. Master Plan. Why did you come to church today? Why did you leave your house and then go somewhere? When you leave your house and you stand up to go to church, what's in your mind? When you wake up and you call yourself a Christian, what are you a part of? What is the idea in the heart of the designer of the earth? What is the reason why we are Christians and followers of this God? What does he want us to be? What does he want us to do? Where is he taking us to? What's the end objective of this enterprise called the faith? So, Many times we are actually stuck in small, small things, doing other things, but there is a master plan. Say master plan. There is a master plan. There is a clear picture in the heart of God as to where he wants us to be and what our lives are about and why we're here. There is something we're living for. There is something that defines who we are in God. Let's read this together. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So God has an enterprise in the earth. And in the brokenness of that enterprise, he begins to craft in our minds another enterprise. He begins to say, this, this orbit you are, this system you are working right now is fraught. I am bringing a new one. This earth is imperfect. The life you have now is not the best life yet. Do you understand? So I am bringing what? A new world. I am creating a future. There is something else coming. Not your neighbor and say, there is something coming. There is something coming. There is something else coming. This is not the end of the journey. This is not all that there is. This is not all the world in which we live. This is not everything that our life is about. When we read the end of the book, that's when you get a picture. If you want to ever understand an author, this is my secret of reading many books. Read chapter 1. Read the last chapter. <laughs> Honestly, you get the idea of the book. <laughs> Everything inside is just a wire, it's a wire frame. <laughs> Quickly understand the book. Read chapter 1. Read the last chapter. Chapter 1 always expounds the problem. The last chapter always closes. Except if it's fiction, which I don't read. <laughs> I read only non-fiction. The book has to be going somewhere. I don't read fables and stories and, you know, except if the stories are like Pierce in the Darkness or something like that with good plots, you know, Ted Decker kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> when you want to understand where God is going, listen to the end plot. Listen to the end plot. The book of Revelation is the best place to understand the mind of God. At the end of the book, 
a new heaven and a new earth comes down and God's people are presented as winners. At the end of the book, we overcome. At the end of the plot, we win. At the end of the book, something happens. If you want to reform any town, you have to make a master plan. This is the picture of the London Heathrow, the future London Heathrow. If you look at some of this, they already have the wireframe of some of these things at work, like Terminal 3. It looks a little bit like this right now. But they are trying to widen it, add a third runway, and build some things over it that is going to bring it into the future. Lots of nice photos where I took this one from. You can go check that out. They had to do like a master plan. A master plan gives them a picture of where everything is going to end. How it's going to look like when they're done. How many of you have seen those building models like our sister here, Beam, does real estate? And one of the things they start out with is a visual. A visual of what they want to build. Say master plan. What does God have in mind when he calls us? Let's read this together. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's repeat it again. Man's chief end is to number one, glorify God. And number two, enjoy him. Number one, give God the glory. Number two, enjoy God. Do you know? Many people live their lives just to give God the glory. They don't enjoy God. Many believers have lost the enjoyment of God. Many believers have lost their power to, to just endure God. And okay, like I'm living for his glory and they burn themselves up. But guess what? Something else God wants us to do. Enjoy him. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy worship. Enjoy prayer. You know how many people cannot pray? They feel like, oh man, I'm going to die. This one hour, just praying in the spirit, I'm, I'm dead. I'm, I'm <laughs> but the person who knows, like, if you've ever been in love, that's the only way I can use to qualify. If you've ever been in love, something you in the evening, you can't wait for evening to come, even at work, you want to go and hang out at the person's atmosphere. Except those of you who are playing like, you know, some of you, you know, you are very tough. You play hard to get a lot. So even though you love, your heart is saying, this person, this person, you say, control, breathe in. <laughs> we have to learn how to enjoy God. We have to learn how to enjoy God. Many people have learned how to glorify God. Very few people have learned how to enjoy God. So Christianity looks like a chore. It looks like something that is going to kill you. It looks like something that is tiresome. It looks like something that is weary. It looks like something that is boring. But honestly, God designed our faith for the enjoyment of him. John Piper, it was, who says God is most pleased with us when we are most delighted in him. The best pleasure of God in your life is your delight of him. The most powerful time in your life is when you rejoice over God. It's when you think about him and he blows your mind. 
This is exactly what God designed us for. That in the beginning, he didn't design this thing to be a, a boring journey and a dry place and a hard thing for us to walk on. And that's where old Christianity got it wrong when we keep saying, it's not an easy road. We're traveling to heaven and many other trials on the way. No, no, no. It's not an easy road. I just suffer for God. No, no. It's not an easy road. <laughs> Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. From a distance, the whole world looks good to me. God is watching us from a distance. Like I can't sing right now. Well, I can sing by faith. All those things actually destroy our vision of what God wants in the master plan. God wants us to glorify him, but also to enjoy him. Who can enjoy God today? Who can taste? The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Participate in him. See that God is not here with a lasso trying to make everyone do the right thing. All of you fall in line. You're out of line. Zap! That's what many of us make Christianity look like. That's what many of us make our preaching look like. That's what many of us make our faith look like. God rejoices over us with singing, the Bible says. The Lord will rejoice over you with singing. God delights in you. How about you delighting in God? In the master plan, he made us to enjoy him and to glorify him. There was the idea of man and the idea of creation. I don't know whether I should go into this because it's actually very deep. Okay. There were some people who said that before Adam came that there was a world. It's called the pre-Adamite doctrine. And that's why carbon-4 dating of the earth points to millions of years. The biblical dating only a few thousand years. So there was a world which God destroyed. So when you read the Bible in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, verse 1. Then verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness on the face of the deep. That between verse 1 and 2, that there was a world. So the first world which God created was wiped out. And this second world was now a watery abyss. I tried to look for what an abyss looks like. An abyss is actually just a hole. A big open hole into the ground. Water abyss. Water, land just mishmashed. And at this time, Satan had fallen. In between that time, Satan had fallen. Between the first and second world, Satan had fallen because we saw at the beginning that Satan was already there, falling with Adam. So if Adam was the beginning, when did Satan fall? Do you understand? There must be, have been a time before. So there's a strong doctrine about the pre-Adamite. I don't know what I believe because I don't, honestly, that's not a big worry for me. <laughs> you understand? So, but since that time, 
whether pre-Adamite or no pre-Adamite, God always had something in mind, an order, a place he was taking his world to, something he wanted to pull out of the earth, somewhere he wanted the world to arrive at. God always had redemption in mind to take this thing which was fallen and to place it back in its place. This was the master plan of God all along, to restore broken earth and to bring humanity back to the place where it should be. And God now started with the people of Israel. The first people he found that was a man called Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I will make your name great. Your children will become awesome people. Then the children of Israel became proud. Because after Abraham, they now began to what? Put a big chest. But what God had in mind was to raise a nation where he's going to have like good relationship with, like a model nation. They will have good fellowship. This will enjoy God. People will see the relationship that Israel had with God and say, come, let us go to the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. What God was interested in was not the Israelite, it was the whole world. But he wants to model that relationship with somebody so that the earth will desire. God constantly has been on this quest towards mankind, redeeming all of man. If you're a true Christian, you must love Muslims. You must love gays and lesbians. You must love all types of people. Because John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You must have a bigger mind than a church mind. You must have a total mind because we're in the business with God of giving him glory. And what gives God glory the most is that the fallen earth, the earth which is a skill from the mind of God, is restored back to the original plan and co-participants with God that's why things like destiny trust are absolutely critical because this is actually bringing human beings to find out. Look at that girl. She said, I don't know where I was. I don't know who I was. Do you, do you, get, do you get that sense? Until some people came and told her, this is who you are. You are a child of God. You are a, you are a human being in Nigeria. You're going somewhere with your life. We will give you destiny. How powerful is that? All of God's civilization is bigger than Bible people. It's not just the people in the Bible. So if possible, in the spirit realm, new Bibles are still being written today. I've said this before. It's possible, like right now, new Bibles are being written. And some of your stories will make it about how you struggled with an autistic child, about how you struggled with pain in your family, about how death came to take your, your junior brother and you didn't have a word, about how pain was normal in your life every day. Some of you, this will make it into the Bible. Some of the stories of what you're going through will make it into the master plan of God. How come you think you are exterior to what God 
how your mind was bombarded, how the devil came and sent someone to rape you as a child, how, how a pedophile looked upon you and, and desecrated you, all of these things, and how God moved in your life, and how that didn't define you, and how you rose up in the end and exerted the victory of God. Wouldn't that be a story, what read writing in the Bible? How God caused you to stand in your generation, even though you didn't look qualified, and you began to proclaim the words of Yahweh, and you began to speak about his power. You, like Israel, are a mortal nation. God is looking for men and women and he's going to pour himself into and he's going to walk from there forward for redeeming as God planned redemption. Yeah, I finished the whole message. When Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. As I called them, so they ran away from me. They sacrificed the bowels and burnt incense. I was looking for glory from Israel, but Israel kept running from me. Does that sound familiar? How God looks for glory from our lives. And it seems like the one thing God wants is what we don't want to give him. God is looking for worship from us. That thing is what we're always trying to avoid. God is looking for consecration from us. That thing is the thing we're unable to provide. God is looking for relationship and connection with us. But we're always quick to jettison him. We're always quick to walk away from him. We're always quick to doubt him. We're always quick to refuse to engage with him. But there's only one thing in his mind. Love. I love you. And I'm calling you. I love you. And I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Let's read this together. Take notice, therefore, of the kindness and severity of God. Severity to those who fell, but kindness to you if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they did not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Anytime you fall, just realize that God is able to graft you in again. Those who walk away, those who follow, those who decide to walk away from God. God's willingness didn't change. If you read that scripture again, he says he was still willing to graft him. This scripture, Romans 11, is about the Israelites, talking about the ingrafting of Israelites. Even the Israelites who have walked away from God, who don't recognize Jesus, God is willing to what? Graft them in again. God is willing to graft in anyone who is fallen again. So it's not about falling. It's not about falling. It's about refusal to be regrafted in. God is willing. God is able. God is ready. But are you? Because he's a God of love. The children of Israel began to boast. And that's what John the Baptist took on. This was John the Baptist's message when he came. Children of Israel began to boast. They began to say, oh, we are the special people of God. God loves us more than everybody. They began to boast. As they began to boast, John the Baptist came on the scene and began to preach this message. What was this message? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change the way you think. Change the way you organize your life. Because I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. <laughs> And do not stand and begin to claim that you are children of Abraham. Do not bang your hand on your chest and say, we are the good ones. No, 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 no. It's not about that. 
God is able to bring forth fruits out of any tree. God is able to raise stones. Do you know God has the ability to wait us out until we all die? When the children of Israel got to the promised land, 12 of them were sent out as spies. 10 of them says, sir, we can't enter. Two says, if the Lord delights in us, he'll give us this land. Those two did not make them enter. Rather, the 10 actually created something. And how did they get destroyed? They didn't get destroyed in one day. So they couldn't even see themselves being destroyed. One day, serpent will come, eat up 5,000. Moses will raise a brazen serpent. The ones who look at the serpent will be healed, but the ones who died have died. One day, calamity will come. Amalekites will come from the back, take out all the people who are weak. One event after the other, and in 40 years, only the people who were 20 years old and younger made it to the promised land. Or 40 years old and younger made it to the promised land. Every person who was old, who came from Egypt, passed away. God waited them out. Do you know that our lifetime is a very short time in God's agenda? Guess who needs God? Us in our generation. We're the ones who need God. Because a thousand years as one day before him. So if you live a thousand years, how many of us live a thousand years now? That's like morning. It's gone. So God waits out a generation that refuses to enter. But that's not God's plan. His master plan is to take a people somewhere. Is to walk in partnership with the people of redemption. Is to engage with humanity so that humanity can go to somewhere. That's what is in God's plan. So, when God has this plan, how does God execute this plan? Number one, God executes plan by love and redemption. Say love and redemption. redemption. Not threatening. As God, even God himself wants to redeem the earth, he's not going around threatening, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. Die, 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 die. How many of you have seen those preachers who are placards, repent or die? Do you understand? This is it's not that it's a lie that you're going to die. It's actually just that that's not God's way. Even God Almighty, who is God of heaven and earth, when he comes to you today, how does he talk to you? Entreaty. Would you like to pray today? Do you think our fellowship time has been done today? That's God Almighty, the Holy Spirit of God talking to you. Gentle. Love and redeem. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 20. Let's read it together. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Creation was subject to futility. The people who are doing bad, they are slaves of that bad thing they are doing, not of their own choice, but by the person who subjected them. Who is that? The God of this world. Subjected them to futility. Whatever they do, they can't break out. So they need love to redeem. They need the power and the grace of not threatening. Miles Monroe is the one who said, yeast does not intimidate the dough. 
If you put yeast next to the door, the door will be looking innocent until the yeast enter the door. All of a sudden, the door will not know what happened to him. He was just like. <laughs> it's not by our gra-gra that we will convert people. It's not by our hate. You know, Christians have been known more for their hate than what we stand for. We talk all, a lot all the time about what we hate rather than what we love. What do you love? What do you offer? Where are you going rather than what you hate? Nebuchadnezzar was subjected to this. Imagine if you appeared before Nebuchadnezzar in this state. I said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are going to hell. Except you repent. Nebuchadnezzar is already in hell. How many of you know the story of this man? He had no power. The seasons had been set. His judgment had been decided until the time passed. Then his eyes opened. So if you met Nebuchadnezzar, guess what you're supposed to do? Throw him a loaf of bread. Sometimes that's all we can do. <laughs> Number two, heal. Heal. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. This is the assignment of the church. We have to heal. We have to heal. We have to cure diseases. You have to set people free. You have to start small, but you have to heal people. Wherever you are, somebody say they are sick, don't just say, I will offer them medicine immediately. Pray over them first. <coughs> Do you understand? We have to heal. Number three. Let's read this together. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. How do you bruise someone's head? What's someone's head? Center for ideas. Center for principles. The devil's head is actually his sense. Our job is to destroy the devil's sense. The devil's job is to destroy our motion. So the devil keeps fighting you when you want to what? Go forward. Anytime there's anything that includes your going forward, what does the devil do? You can just see his hand inside somehow. If it's just something that is not doing any good purpose, like a party, like, a, you know, there will be no problem. But then you stand up and say you want to go and do crusade to save people. Your car will break down. The generator will knock. There will be a lot of trouble. Once you wake up and you say you want to serve God, what will happen? Challenges every day. Why? The serpent is bruising your heel. He is impeding your advance. The person who knows God is the person who knows how to advance in spite of impediments. That's number one. You want to upturn the plan of the devil? Advance. When the devil is giving you trouble, what do you do? Stand up and advance. He shuts one door. What do you do? Look for a window. He closes the window. What do you do? Break. Look for a hammer and start breaking the, the wall down. Advance. Because the devil is designed to impede your journey. Then the next way you fight the devil is 
his ideas. The person who lives, fighting the devil is not something you do, shikaba, shikaba, no, only, no, that's part of it. After a while, our spiritual warfare in the spirit dislodges his plan. But guess the biggest movements have dislodged the devil. Strategic ideas. The devil wants everybody to be out of school. If people rise up and say, we'll put all the children in Lagos in school. 13 point something million every year. Let's get a strategic plan. We'll get all the children back into school. Guess what we've done in the end? There's a policy that says children, there are policy weaknesses. We've got strength. Do you know, like, we can do a lot more by systemic change than by individual change. Do you know we can do a lot more by strategic advance than individual advance? You yourself, finding your own corner, just doing a little thing, doing your own thing, hiding away like Gideon. One day, God did not leave Gideon doing his own thing. Gideon was always threshing his wheat by himself. But one day, God came to Gideon and said, Gideon, almighty man of valor, go forward! And God gave him a strategy. What was his strategy? His strategy was confusion of the enemy. You may think it was just a spiritual strategy. No, it wasn't just a spiritual strategy. God gave them a strategy of putting fear in the heart of the enemy. God knew what was already in the heart of the enemy. It wasn't all spiritual. Guess what happened? Then the sun rose up in the morning. The children of Israel had trumpets. The children of Israel had something that reflected the light of the sun onto the camp. They just shone the light of the sun on the camp. And then the enemy rose up and said, Oh, the children of Israel started fighting themselves. Let's go and fight them. And then they didn't know who, the confusion of the light entering their face and the sound of the trumpet, they didn't know what to do again. They started killing themselves. That's how all of them killed themselves. And the 300 men just stood with the trumpets. ba 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 da 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 ta da 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 ta da 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 Just playing the glory of God and the enemies were killing themselves. Strategic advance. Gideon was only one man until God told him, move forward. Do you know you will always be one until you move strategically? You're always fighting your own corner. You'll always be doing your own thing until you join the enterprise of God. God has an enterprise on the earth. And part of the way to dislodge the devil is two ways. One, advance. Two, be strategic. Get a strategic mind. A strategic mind works against the devil a lot more than even praying in the spirit. After you pray in the spirit, guess what God does? He gives you spiritual strategy. Remember the story of Moses when they fought the battle of AI. Moses was sitting in the mountain. What was Moses doing? Lifting up his hands to God. And as much as Moses lifted up his hands to God, they were winning the war. But what was Joshua doing? Joshua was fighting. There are always a duality of God's strategy. It is not only the spiritual and then you don't have a touchdown point. Don't only do the spiritual without a touchdown point. If you believe God has given you the job, then go and learn how to do the job. If you believe God has given you the contract, then don't be a fool when they invite you for contract meeting. Be the most intelligent person in the room. If you believe God has given you the open door, then train yourself for that open door. If you believe God has given you an opening, then fight to get in the door of that opening. If you believe God has given you admission, then don't drop out of that school. If you believe God is opening a door for you to go to school, then study ahead that when you arrive there, you can sit shoulder to shoulder with your peers. 
Belief in God should drive action, not cause you to sleep. The prophetic word should drive you to take action, to do something about what you believe God has said. Because you believe God has given you the job, but you know that you may not get the job without writing your CV. You don't even have a CV. Your CV is outdated. It's 10 years old. But you believe God has given you the job. Of course God can get the person to call you and jump the process for you. But in most times, that's not God's preferred strategy. God wants you to do the interview. God wants you to prove that you can get the job. One day God told me, I've thrown you into the pit. Dig your way out. I don't want children without muzzles. I don't want sons without muzzles. Dig your way out. I'm the one who threw you into the pit. By coming out, you get muzzles. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is new. You understand? And I had to learn the system. 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 In a short while, I learned the system. Let me give you this real example. It was actually when I arrived at Bedin. The British job market was something I totally didn't understand, coming from Nigeria. In Nigeria, you know someone who knows someone, and the relationship just generally connect, and you get the job. But this British system was totally online. You don't see anyone. You don't show up in someone's office and say, I came to pay a visit. Like, how? Do you understand? So after looking for work for like six months, God said to me, learn this system. You are now in the pits with your Nigerian way. Learn this system. After a while, I knew all the jobs that were in my space that were coming up. I could see them. I set alerts in such a way that any job that was in my space would pop up in my email box. I was friends with all the recruiters. We're talking as if we were pallies. We're inviting them, recruiters, inviting them for coffee meetings. So you have like about 10 recruiters working for me, trying to match me to a role. Incidentally, none of the ones I invited for coffee came and gave me the job. It was actually a remote one from somewhere who I spoke to, but I had so oiled that wheel of speaking about myself and my role that the day she called me, she said, I don't know what it is, but there's something about you. I have to give you this role. So she went and fought for me in a place where I wasn't even qualified and got me the role of general manager, industrial automation for a German industrial automation business in Scotland, a role many Scottish men will die for. How did that happen? God told me, I threw you into the pit. Dig your way out. Some of you, you can't learn anything. You can't be patient. One of the biggest ways to defeat the devil, strategic mind. You will bruise his head, the Bible says. You will take his mind and make a rubbish of it. The principles of the devil will have no power over you. You would make rubbish of the work of the devil. Are you guys getting this this morning? I don't want to shout on this. I just want you to get this point. So, finally, what God wants to do on earth is to create human beings who are going to partner with him. Partnership beings on earth. God wants men who are going to connect to his heart and hear him and then come on the earth and begin to do. God wanted men and women who are going to pierce into the heavens. His master plan is not a, it's not a map. You know, if you watch the movie Adjustment Bureau, 
you see there was a chairman upstairs on the, on the penthouse floor. And the chairman was plotting the map of everybody's life. And if you miss your road, he will make a new route for you. Like Pastor T.D. Jake's speech preaches, he says, God makes a GPS for you. And if you miss your route, your GPS will recalculate your way. I like that analogy. But God, that's not how God works. I'm sorry. How God works is this. God is waiting for you every day. In the morning when you wake up. What are we going to do together? How are we going to partner? How are you going to be my agent? How are you going to be a God on the earth? What can I give you to do in your work? How are you going to fire? How are you going to be different? How are you going to create it? How are you going to usurp? How are you going to undermine? How are you going to disrupt the systems that exist? On my behalf. We live for the glory of God. We exist to bring the kingdom of God joy. We are designed to bring the mind of God down on earth. We live not just as men. We were created as spirit beings. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7 and Psalms also explains this very. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Some translations call these angels Elohim. You made him a small God on earth. God designed you to be a little G on earth. Remember the day when we talked about the legend of King Lemuel and I was telling you that the reason why God is king of kings is because he has kings such as us reigning on earth. So he is king of kings. Do you know why God is God of gods? We are the gods. The gods are not some spirit beings. The gods are not some people from, uh, from Greek mythology. It's not Zeus and Artemis and this. But these are not the gods. You are a God. This is so heretical, right? You are a God. You are a spirit. In the pantheon of the Godhead, you sit along with the, with the elders. Anyone who begins to connect to the mind of God begins to enter into this role. Anyone who begins to understand what God has created us begins to enter into this role. That you can sit in judgment and bring the government of God down to earth. That we live in a power. We exist in a frequency where we are little gods. He made us just a little lower than the Elohim himself. You have power. You have power. And I want you to preach this to the person next to you. You have infinite amount of power. And you do not know this. You have so much power. You are not the brokenness of your story. You are not the evil things that have happened to you. You are not the tragedies that befall your life. You are not what you are waiting for. Say to them, you are not what you are waiting for. You have power with God. God created you as an Elohim. God created you as a force. God created you as a spirit. God created you as a voice in the earth. And that thing which you declare will come to pass. And that which you speak will be done. And that which you bring about will be done and how you destroy the work of the devil. Number one, love. Number two, heal. Number three, idea. Idea. Do you know how the devil runs the whole world? By principles. The principle of corruption in Nigeria says except you are corrupt, you cannot do business. What do you do? Disrupt that idea. It may take a while 
But if you have holy partnership with the Spirit of God, so that's why you pray to get spiritual strength. So prayer strengthens you to run by a different ethos, to run by a different law in your mind, to run by a different paradigm. One of the ways to catch out the devil is to crush his head. You know how many church have been singing, Satan don't fall for God, match and match and Satan don't go for God, match and match When they go home, the devil beats them black and blue. Because it's not just about matching him with your with your the sole of your shoes. It's actually about the fact that the devil has a mindset. The devil runs cities by principalities, by principles. The devil runs towns by laws. The devil rules by systems. And those who understand God will become strategic in their mind to undermine the systems that the devil has built, to upturn the things that the devil is doing, and to plant the mastermind of God. We are God's masterminds. We are God's plan to beat up the devil. Do you know God put us in the earth to beat up the devil? Beat him very well. And we are running like, take me to heaven, take me to heaven. I want to escape from the world. When are you coming, Lord? Pastor Chintok explains this very well. That when we've beaten up the devil, when we've done everything that God wants us to do, when we match the kingdom of earth to heaven, when we've obeyed the work of the spirit inside of us, the spirit and us, the spirit and the bride will say, God, we finished the work. Even so, come Lord, the spirit and the bride both agree and welcome God back after we've beaten up the devil. How dare you leave the earth without beating up the devil? How dare you leave that situation? How dare you run away from that job with your tail in between your legs without fighting first? How dare you just roll over and play dead? How dare you just think like this is the end of you? No, it's not the end. Say it's not the end. Bruise the head. And number four, get into the master plan. The master plan of God is to make small g small Elohims on the earth. If you read the next verse of this Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7, it says, and set him over the works of your hands. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Verse 8. Hebrews 2 verse 8. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. He put all things in subjection under his feet by saying that it means that there's nothing at all that he hasn't put under his feet. Do you guys understand this? So here's the master plan. Number one, love and redeem. Number two, heal without judgment. Number three, destroy the devil's ideas. And then number four, to understand that we are, master, we are, the, we are the gods of God's master plan. Let's read this again together. Number one, love and redeem. Number two, heal without judgment. Number four, destroys the devil's ideas and principles. And number four, to understand that we are God's master plan, God's. This is actually God's master plan. That's why we come to church. Every time we come, we're coming to connect with the master plan. We're coming to connect with the design in the heart of God. We're coming to see what God has made us. We're coming to enhance what he has already said we are. We're coming to develop that. So don't sit alone by yourself. By yourself, you can do very little. So God invites us to this journey and partnership. That together with him, 
But you ask, but I have pains in my life. How do I deal with pain? But I have things that are not working in my life. But I have broken projects. But I lack money. I don't have capital, but I'm sick in my body. Do you know, the more aligned you are to the master plan, the more light your journey becomes. So God says to you, take my yoke upon you, for I am easy and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is actually God's mind. This is actually God's plan for us. Thanks for listening to this message from The Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.